2 Corinthians chapter 11, and my notes are just spell out the first 5 through 12, those, those 7 or 8 verses, I guess it's 8 verses. We'll read those to get ourselves grounded in the word here, and then we'll go through and explain them a little bit. Verse 5, for I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be rude in speech, not in knowledge, but we have been truly made manifest among you in all things. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that you might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. When I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth, but what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. Now Paul had taught the Corinthians, and yet some people were coming into Corinth and bad-mouthing Paul and teaching other doctrine and saying he didn't know business. He wasn't one of the apostles, but he was. And so he begins here to do something he hardly ever does, and that is defend in a way that would seem boastful almost his apostleship. But he starts off by saying, I didn't take anything from you. He says, even though I was in the first rank of the apostles, the ones who were sent, when I preached to you, I didn't take anything from you. We drop down perhaps to uh, verse 7 and see he said, I have preached to you the gospel of God freely. When he went to a place, he didn't sell tickets and charge admission. He went in and said, would you like to hear from the word, from God's word? I have a message from God's word. And he preached the gospel. He went into Jewish synagogues and did as Apollos was said to have done. He mightily convinced them that Jesus was the Christ, the Christ, the Messiah of the Old Testament, the promised one. Jesus fulfilled all the promises, persuading people Jesus was the deliverer that they were looking for. And they were mistaken to think he would deliver them from Roman tyranny. They were mistaken to think he would give them political authority again because he came to deliver them spiritually and, and grant entrance into the spiritual kingdom of God for all eternity. He says, I preached to you the gospel of God freely, the good news. I made it known to you, and I didn't charge you. Verse 80 says, I robbed other churches. The Macedonians sent money. Their way up to Corinth is... Macedonia is north of Greece. Corinth is in the very southern part of Greece, underneath the isthmus of Corinth, and around the corner to the west. It's a long haul, either by boat or by road. And Paul said, the Macedonians took care of me even when I was ministering to you. In verse 9, I was chargeable when I was present with you and had needs. I wanted, that is, I had real Material needs, I might have needed food or clothing or shelter. I wanted. I was chargeable to no man. I didn't let any of you give to me. That which was lacking to me, what I needed, 
the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. We saw him in the last two lessons bragging about those Macedonian members who not only gave of themselves, but gave themselves to the Lord and then to Paul for his needs and for the needs of the rest of the church all over the Mediterranean world. I was chargeable to no man. And he says, but is it because I have loved you not? Verse 11, because I love you not? Is that, he says, you think I'm trying to keep you from getting a blessing? That's not it. God knows it's not because I don't love you. And when he says God knoweth, that's a rather strong expression. That's like taking an oath. That's like putting your hand on the Bible, raising your right hand and saying, I, telling the truth. Like when Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you. He's saying, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. And Paul says, God knows it's not because I don't love you. Not at all. Well, there's something coming up here in verse 13. This is how Paul accuses those people that came in after him and bad-mouthed him, if you will. Those guys, we'll just read 13 through 15, such are false apostles. Apostles are sent ones, and when the church used the term apostles, they're talking about those who are sent out by the Lord Jesus to deliver the gospel message first to Jerusalem and then to Judea and then to Samaria and then it says to the uttermost parts of the earth. But false apostles, and he describes them further, deceitful workers, and then transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Perhaps these are powerful preachers, good religious men, but they want the audience of those who have come to Christ. So they're transforming themselves, making it appear that they are the apostles of Christ. They're false apostles. They're deceitful workers. They are fooling people. And he says, that's really not strange. No marvel. Don't, don't think that's strange. Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their work. In the notes, I put the word in because it's something that's interesting. Suda, pseudapostolos, like pseudo is false. Pseudepigrapha are false writings. Pseudopod is a snail. That means it's a false foot. Pseudapostolos, those are false apostles, just what the words are. Deceitful. Paul said, we don't use deceitful words, but these guys come in and they fool you. And they are transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. They are disguising themselves. They're coming in and look like one thing, but underneath it all, they're there's something else. It makes me think of the word hypocrisy. The uh, word hypocrisy comes from the idea of the Greek theater where a few actors portrayed several many different characters. And they'd come in portraying one character, holding a mask in front of their face that was that character's face and voice. And then the scene would change and the same actor would come in with a different mask and use a different voice and portray a different character. They had two faces. They were hypocritical. That was two-faced. And it's when teachers have two faces that it's a bad thing. 
Peter was a good apostle, a good teacher, a good leader, but when he came up to the regions of Galatia, he was, he was mixing and mingling with the new Gentile believers that Paul had led to the Lord and having supper with them and just doing great. And then some men came as though they were from Jerusalem, from James or somebody in Jerusalem that wanted them to, if you want to be Christian, you got to be Jewish, Judaizers. And when they got there, Peter made a bad mistake. Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles. Peter started pretending he was separated from the Gentiles until they became Jews. And Paul got in his face. I withstood him to the face and said, If thou, being a Jew, livest as do the Gentiles, wherefore requirest them that they live like Jews? We couldn't do it. Why do you think they should do it? Anyway, these false apostles in Corinth were like that. They were disguising themselves as though they were true apostles of Christ. We could think of the Judaizers as one example I don't know there were Judaizers in Corinth, but let's read what it says about them here. <clears throat> in verse 15, the ministers of whom? Of Satan. The ministers of Satan, that's a strong accusation. The ones who are serving the adversary of God are transformed, they're disguised, and what do they look like? Ministers of righteousness. Now, these guys are not preaching, go out there and, and pick up a hooker. They're not preaching, go out there and, and commit adultery. They're not preaching, let's do sin. They're preaching righteousness. What do I have to do to go to heaven? Be good. That's wrong. But they were ministers, they were servants, teachers of righteousness. The servants of Satan, the ministers of Satan, were disguised and we're teaching righteousness. And it says their end shall be according to their works. I am reminded of Jesus' rebuke. I think it's Matthew chapter 7, where the people come to him and said, we did all these good things in your name. We, we did everything in your name. We did everything in your name. He said, depart from me. I never knew you, you that work iniquity. But what they had just said they worked was healing people, blessing people, doing good for people. And Jesus said, I didn't know you, you workers of iniquity. Ministers of righteousness. So many churches that put the name Christian on themselves under whatever name, but Christian churches that talk about Jesus, teach a gospel of good works, either directly, some churches say, you've got to do this, 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 and this. There's the five things you got to do or you're not going to be going to heaven. Some churches disguise it better. They said, all you got to do to believe to go to heaven is believe in Jesus. But if you really believe in Jesus, then you'll do this, 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 and this, and this. And if you didn't do this, 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 and this, and this, and you never really believed in Jesus, that's teaching salvation by works. One group says, hey, believe in Jesus, and you'll do good works, but you can back out of believing in Jesus. And then you won't be saved anymore. The other group says, well, you can believe in Jesus, but if you really believe in Jesus, you'll do good works. They're both lying. They're both lying. Ministers of righteousness and the minister's end will be according to their works, which is not heaven. Nobody gets to heaven by their works, but every, every lost person is judged according to their works, not whether heaven or hell, but the degrees of punishment that they will face in hell. And I think it's especially based on how they affected other lost people hearing or not being able to hear the true gospel. Satan is transformed into an angel of light. They're 
they're coming in, they're false apostles. Their end will be according to their works. I have a series of references in my notes here that I'd like to run over to. First of all, in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, and that's page 1241 in the Schofield Bible. But though we, Paul said to the Galatian churches, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. That's a strong word, anathema. Anathema, accursed. If the preachers got the gospel wrong, let him be accursed. Now, Paul didn't control heaven or hell. There are saved people who teach the gospel wrong. He's not saying they aren't saved, but he's saying that's what they deserve. They're keeping people from heaven. You can't say for sure just because somebody's message is wrong that they're lost. You can sure say their message is wrong. You can say if that's the only thing they ever believed, then they're lost. But you don't know. You've heard our pastor mention John MacArthur from this pulpit a number of times. He teaches a gospel of salvation by works. He does. He boldly said back in the 1980s, there's a Bible college movement in Florida that's teaching cheap grace, that's teaching easy believism. And I think I recognize who he was talking about. And he says, I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life. This is the early 1980s. I listened to this message on tape. I says, I, tape, that's what we used to use. <laughs> but he said, I'm going to give the rest of my life to defeating this false, easy believism message. I don't know he's lost or saved. He's, he's still teaching. But you don't know what he believed when he was a little boy in Sunday school. You don't know. Another preacher who had it wrong in his adult life, um, I can never pull his name back again, but um, Harry Spruill, R-J, S-P-R-O-U-L, Spruill. Dr. Spruill taught a lot, had a big ministry called, oh, I'm not going to say it, but his personal testimony was that when he was a teenager, he and his fiance went to a Bible study not at the church that they had always attended, and he heard the gospel and trusted Jesus as his Savior. And she wondered what was wrong with him because she thought we'd gone through the same Sunday school classes, we'd gone through the same uh, making ourselves part of the church, we'd gone all... And what do you knew? You're saying, you got something now I don't have. And it took them some months before she heard the gospel again and trusted the Savior, it says, in their testimony. Now, he taught salvation by works most of the rest of his life. But possibly he got it when he was a teenager. He said so. And uh, he may be in heaven. He won't be as well rewarded because he kept a whole lot of people from seeing the truth of the gospel. Jeremiah 23, verse 14, page 796. God's got a warning for people that mess up other people's minds. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem an horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. By the way, God was not woke 
Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood. That's like sulfur and bitterness. And I will make them drink the water of gall, spoiled vinegar. For from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Jeremiah was given these words by God, and they're words of a strong warning that God is seeing what the false apostles, the false teachers are doing, and he's not happy, and he's going to do something about it. In Daniel chapter 12, talking about the resurrection, the end of all things, the last chapter in Daniel, page 919 in the Schofield Bibles, verse 2, it says, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth, the dead, shall awake. There's a resurrection coming. Some of them wake up and they're in everlasting life. And some wake up and they're in shame and everlasting contempt. Now, I don't think those two things happen at the same moment. I think they're separated by a good period of time, a thousand years perhaps. But the last, the first resurrection is before the kingdom of Jesus on the earth. A thousand years later, there's one more rebellion and then there's the judgment at the great white throne and all the dead, those who are not saved, stand in front of God. They're not found in the book of life and they're judged according to their works and sent to the lake of fire. And it says this is the second death. They had one birth, a physical birth. They had a physical death and then a spiritual death, eternal death. In Matthew 25... Page 1036, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Jesus is talking, and he's describing the end of the tribulation period. It says, when the Son of Man shall come, verse 31, in his glory, and he's going to sit on the throne of his glory. This is before the thousand-year kingdom on the earth, and before him, all the survivors of the tribulation on the earth, all the nations all the Gentiles from one end of the earth to the other, and he separates them like a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And you've got to be careful where you sit in the auditorium. He says the ones on the right hand were the sheep. The ones on the left hand, sorry, fellas, those are the goats. The king says to the ones on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he calls them why. And then he says down to verse 41, then shall he say to them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. God didn't make hell for people, but he uses it for people because a bunch of them didn't believe in Jesus. I was hungry, you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you took me not in. Naked, you clothed me. Sick and in prison, you visited me not. And they said, when did we ever see you hungry and thirsty and stranger and naked and sick and in prison? And he said, now during this seven-year tribulation period, there were Jewish witnesses, 144,000 Jewish witnesses. Here they are, not on the right, not on the left. They're with him. And he said to these Lost people, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. If they had believed the message of the Jewish evangelists, they would have joined the sheep. But because they did not believe, they did not receive the Jewish evangelists. And because of that, Jesus says, you goats, these shall go away into everlasting punishment. Everlasting 
punishment. It's not just, okay, they're done, pop, and they're gone. No, it's everlasting punishment. Oh, wow, that's an awful idea. Yeah, it's God's idea, and it is awful, and we need to acknowledge the holiness and the rightness of God. In Luke chapter 17, in verses 1 and 2, Jesus is still talking. He said to the disciples, it is impossible but that offenses will come. This is page 1099. It's impossible, but there's going to be offenses. Woe unto him through whom they come. He says, if that defensive line lets the running back through, woe unto... No, that's it's not about football. There are going to be offenses. The ones that allow the offenses to get through, woe unto them. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. I want you to see there are degrees of punishment. It's all hell. It's all an everlasting lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But it's worse for some than for others. I think it's worse for false apostles. I think it's worse for false teachers that teach people you can be saved by good works. You can't be saved by good works. But the people that fool the people, the disguised ones that make themselves into ministers of righteousness, it would have been better for them that instead of preaching, they just took a big old chunk of concrete, put it around their neck, and jumped into the deep part of the ocean. Don't want to go there. Look back again at Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. This was page 7, uh, I'm sorry, page 1241. Paul said the same thing. He said, we... Or if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. It's strong. It's repeated. It's doubled up. An angel from heaven, any other man, preach any other gospel, false gospel message. We're going to jump over to the book of Revelation and see some of the warnings there. Revelation chapter 2, page 1332, and I think it runs on to the next page as well. Verse 14, he says, I have a few things against thee. What's this? This is the church in Pergamum. I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto all idols and to commit fornication. Oh, there's a story there. We're not going to have time to read it all in the Old Testament, but in the book of Numbers, I believe, Balak was the king of a country that the children of Israel in their trek to the promised land had to go through. Balak saw this multitude that had defeated, they th he thought, their God at least, had defeated the armies of Egypt and escaped servitude. And there's a big bunch of them, there's a, many of them. And they're trying to come through his country. And he says, I need me a prophet to curse these people. And he hired Balaam. And in the Old Testament, Balaam, it says he went with him three times. And all three times he blessed them. Because God said, you better not say anything other than what I tell you to say unto them. And Balaam recognized the threat of, uh, well, his donkey recognized the threat and saved him from getting killed out of hand. 
But after the three times that are recorded in the Old Testament, you read the next chapter carefully, you don't see it there, but you can read about it here in, in the New Testament. Balaam didn't curse them, but he gave Balak some advice. This says he taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Balak said, let's not battle with them. Let's invite them in. We're having supper. Come on in. Yeah, that was offered to our false god. Don't worry about it. Eat that stuff. It's good. Isn't that good? Spicy and nice? Yeah. Eat things sacrificed unto idols. Hey, we got women. You need women? We, we got women to commit fornication. Two pretty obvious sins. Balaam taught Balak to do that. God's children of Israel stumbled over those things for a while that didn't keep them from getting through to the promised land, but they did stumble. A lot of them died. A lot of them died. To commit fornication. I want to look on in the book of Revelation down to verse 20 in chapter 2. Here's the church in Thyatira. And in Thyatira, Jesus says to that church, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. That sounds like the same thing that Balaam taught Balak to teach. And in Thyatira, they've got a woman teacher that calls herself a prophetess, and she's a lot like Jezebel, the one that opposed Elijah. Jezebel calls herself a prophet, and she's teaching the church in Thyatira, why in the world seducing my servants, the believers in the church, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols? I gave her space to repent, and she repented not. I'm going to throw her. I'm going to, you don't want to read all the details of that. In chapter 20 of Revelation, in verse 6, he describes the first resurrection. The rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. He says there's a resurrection. In verse 4, I saw thrones and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and had not worshipped the beast or his image or received his mark upon their foreheads and their hands. And they lived, they were raised from the dead and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And at the end of verse 5 it says, this is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead that died in the tribulation, that died during the next thousand years, they're in that other one after the thousand years are finished. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection on such the second death has no power. There'll be priests of God and of Christ and reign with them a thousand years. That's a reward for those people. And then we slowly roll down to verse 11 in chapter 20. And there's this great white throne judgment. I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, that would be God from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. That would be God. And there was found no place for them. He can't get close to the front of God. And then he says, there's the rest of the dead. The dead, small and great, the ones that have not ruled and reigned with him for the last thousand years, standing before God. I would think falling on their faces before God. But the books were opened. 
And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Everybody in the book of life is already with the Lord at this point in time. But the books are the books of their works. And it says, the dead were judged out of the things which are written in the books according to their works. Lost people judged according to their works. What, to see if they'll make it to heaven? Not even the first idea of making it into eternal life here. It's judging, determining the degree of torment, the degree of torment in hell. I, I shy away from using the word punishment. The full punishment for sin was taken by Jesus on the cross. But those who do not have the righteousness of God put to their account because they have not believed in Jesus, those will stand before God at this great white throne. They'll check the book of life to see if their name is there. They're not there because all those in the book of life have already been raised and are ruling and reigning with the Lord. And the dead who are lost, they were born once, not born twice. They've died once. Now they're going into spiritual death without a spiritual birth before it. They're judged according to the things, according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And then what? And death itself. And Hades, where all the dead were kept before they got up in front of this great white throne. The place in the heart of the earth they call Hades, or Sheol in the Old Testament, that Jesus took all the saved out of when he rose back and went back to heaven. He emptied, he led captivity captive, it says. He emptied out the, the place of comfort where Abraham and the beggar Lazarus were. But now what's left, death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. The whole thing is just thrown into that lake of fire. And this is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. They're all punished in the same place, or they're all tormented in the same place, and yet because they are judged according to the works, I take it there are degrees of torment in the lake of fire. We're going to go on. We're going to go on a bit. Just back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16. I get there or this way. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 16. This is page 1238, if you use the page numbers. Paul says, I say again, let no man think me a fool. He says, don't think I'm being foolish here. I'm going to boast a little. If otherwise, yet as a fool, receive me, that I may boast myself a little. He says, I've got to give justification for my apostleship. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishless in this con foolishly in this confidence of boasting. He says, I have to tell about myself and my accomplishments, which is not usually approach appropriate, but I have to answer those false apostles. Seeing, verse 18, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I'm going to glory also. You suffer fools gladly. Boy, that's not a good thing to say, have said to you seeing yourselves are wise, you allow it, that suffer, you allow it if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if he smites you in the face, you're allowing that stuff. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. 
how be it, whereinsoever any is bold, I'm speaking foolishly, he reminds them. I am bold also. He says, let's look at the credentials. I'm going to do this credential thing. I'm going to show you my degree is accredited. <laughs> Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. I, I skipped a note or two. Just give me a second here. He's going to say, many glory after the flesh, his adversaries did so. You suffer, fools, you selves are wise. He's being ironic. I hope you got that, right? I, you're, you're, you're wise. Yeah, you, you're being stupid. Put up with, suffer means put up with or bear with or allow. Now we want to look at the verse in Colossians. You know, Paul says you're supposed to allow some things. You're supposed to. It says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against Christ, against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do ye. Now, backing up just for a second to that verse where he said, if a man smite you in the face, in verse 21 he's explaining that briefly. He says, I speak as concerning reproach. He says, I'm not talking about literally taking a hit and then turning the face and taking another hit. It's not to be taken literally as allowing physical punishment that way. And that's what the notes that I was reading said, and I kind of thought that made sense. I know that Jesus did teach to turn the other cheek. We'll look at that. Luke 6.29. Luke 6.29 is on page 1080. Jesus is preaching and teaching, and he says, bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. Unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek also offer the other. Him that would take away your cloak, just let him take your coat too. That sounds like the same thing almost. And then you put it along with John 18, and maybe we get a little insight. This is also Jesus responding When he had spoken in defense of himself at the trial, he says, I spoke openly to the world. I taught in the synagogue and the temple. I didn't do anything in secret. Why ask you me? Ask them that heard me what I said. They know what I said. And when he had thus answered the high priest, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand. I'd have thought he'd do that. His hand would explode, but it didn't happen that way. Answerest thou the high priest so? There's a rebuke. Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now there's Jesus being hit on the cheek. And his response was not, Hit this one too. His response was, You ought not be hitting me unless it's right, unless I did something wrong. So sometimes the truths that he teaches are truths but they are not, let's do it exactly the way that says. Because there's another thing he said that means something different. So that's, that's I hope, helpful. I don't know. We'll see. Go back here to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> he says, when I'm talking about a man smiting you in the face, I'm just talking about reproach. Don't take that too literally. And now we go on to verse 22 where he starts enumerating the credentials. He says, what about, are they Hebrews? descendants from Abraham, of Heber before Abraham, so am I. Are they Israelites? 
I am too. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I tell you, I'm talking foolishly right now. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. What is this? Labors. Is laboring with trouble. That's a special word for labors. It, it, it's not quite the same as a, a woman in travail, but it's not just hard work. It's work under duress, labor with trouble. Stripes above measure. It's not just a prison uniform we're talking about. That's talking about the, the wounds that a cat of nine tails leaves when they strike it across your body and then drag it off, and the little sharp things in the ends of the thongs pull the flesh away. Stripes, wounds left by beating. In prisons more frequent. Well, where was he in prison? We know he started off in Philippi in the jailhouse now. And then when he went back to Jerusalem, to rescue him from the mob. They put him in prison. They were going to beat him. And he happened to mention he was a Roman citizen, and they held back from beating him there. The Romans did. They took him, though, back to the royal place in Caesarea and kept him in prison there for a couple years. And eventually, because he appealed to Caesar, he made it to Rome by the end of the book of Acts, and he was there in a house arrest or a prison for several years. And again, I think at the end of his life, some people say it's as many as seven times that Paul was imprisoned. I don't think we actually know. Then he says, in deaths often. Now, usually we say, we're just going to have death one time. He did have death twice, I think. He died when he was stoned to death, and then God I'm not done with you yet. Get back up, are you? But he faced death many times. He was in peril of death in Damascus. They were going to kill him. He left Damascus and went to Jerusalem, and they were going to kill him. After, on his missionary journey, he was in Antioch, not the one that sent him out, but the one up in Pisidia, and they were going to kill him. In Iconia, they were going to kill him. In Lystra, they did kill him. <laughs> in Thessalonica, they were going to kill him. In Berea, they were going to kill him. In Corinth, they were going to kill him. The mob had met. They asked the magistrate, let's kill him. And he says in the next verse, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes save one. Why does it say it that way? We can't just say 30. They got them, the limit in the Old Testament was 40. And to avoid breaking the law, they always counted to 39 and quit because they didn't want to be guilty of doing it more than they should have. So he said, that happened to me five times. That's a lot of beatings with the cat of nine tails. Thrice was I beaten with rods. And Dr. Stanford always made a joke about a drag racer here. But it's not talking about car racing. It's talking about sticks, big sticks, walking sticks. And they beat him with rods three times. It was forbidden by the Roman law for Jewish citizens. He's a Roman citizen, for Roman citizens, excuse me. And yet it happened to Paul three times, though he was a Roman citizen. Paul endured it in Philippi. And he risked it in Jerusalem. And it happened to him actually three times, he says here. He was stoned just that one time in Lystra, executed by people piling rocks on him or throwing rocks on him. Three times he suffered shipwreck. At the point where he writes this letter to the Corinthians, the shipwreck that's taught in the book of Acts that we have toward the end of the book of Acts hadn't happened yet. There's three shipwrecks before that that we just don't know about except from right here. He's shipwrecked three times. 
Once is enough. A day and a night have I been in the deep. One of those shipwrecks, he was out there in the middle of the ocean a long time. That's, uh, I can't touch bottom the deep. A day and a night. Shipwrecked and at sea a long time. In the next verse he says, I'm just in perils all the time, in journeyings. There's bad roads and bad guys on the roads. There's robbers and tax collectors who claim to own the road. In journeyings often, it's perilous. In perils of waters, if you go by sea, it's perilous. In perils of robbers, whether on land or on sea. There's pirates on sea and there's robbers of robbery on land. In perils by my own countrymen, the Jews. In perils by the heathen, they're not any better. In perils when I'm in the city. In perils when I'm not in the city. In perils in the sea. And he ends up with this, in perils among false brethren. That's probably the ones he worried about the worst. In weariness and painfulness, we understand those. And then he's got these things here that happen often to him. Watchings, what's that? That's where you can't sleep. You stay awake. Maybe you want to sleep, but you can't. You stay awake. In hunger and thirst and fastings often. Hunger we know, thirst we know. Fastings as where you can't eat. And cold and nakedness. We thought we had cold this morning. I say again, just be glad you were not in St. Louis and pretending to be a football player. And then he says all that, and then there's those things that are out, those things that are outside, there's that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He takes a breath. He says, there's, if there's weak people, I'm weak. If there's offended people, I'm burning. If I must needs glory, I'll glory in the things which concern my infirmities. Now we're running to the end of the clock, and we don't quite have enough time to develop the infirmities idea, so we'll leave it here. But isn't that a He's got all these things that he's gone through, and he says, I, this is foolish glory. This is stupid. I'm establishing my credentials, but if I'm really going to glory, I'm going to glory in the things where I'm weak. Because God uses weak people, and he'll do great, great things with somebody that just gives himself to him. We'll see that in the last, just the last few verses here that we can't get through uh, There's just four more verses in this chapter. We'll finish that up next week. But keep that idea in mind. He says, all of that I could glory, but no, I'll glory in the things about my infirmities. That'll be better. That'll be better. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knows I lie not. But we have things to say about the glories, about the infirmities that he suffered, and we'll do that in our Sunday School lesson next week. I went over it in passing, but you need to understand the gospel that is the true gospel is not a gospel of good works or of self-righteousness. Those many, many ministers who teach you to be good, to be saved, are not God's ministers. They're disguising themselves as God's ministers, and their end will be according to their works. You don't want your end to be according to your works Jesus died for your sins and rose again, and he offers his righteousness to be put to your account, just like somebody signing the check and giving it to your bank for you. Put to your account on the books of God in heaven his righteousness if you believe in him, if you believe he did that for you. 
He died for the sins of all mankind. All mankind who will believe in him receive the gift of his righteousness, eternal life, and his salvation. What a great exchange. Father in heaven, help us now as we meditate on these things and consider our ways and compare ourselves to what Paul said he'd be glorying in and say, I may not be able to put up with all he put up with, but I'm not going to worry about somebody mocking me a little bit if I try to share the gospel with them. I'm going to get more bold. I'm going to have tracts in my pocket or my pocketbook, and I'm going to offer them to people that I don't know. And I'm going to try to make friends so that I can share the gospel better. And I'm going to do it. And you use somebody like me, somebody weak and somebody shy. And if you lead people to the Lord, because I open my mouth, man, you get the glory, God. And I'll just say thank you and praise the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.